Hey Logo Geeks, Ian Padgett here and this week I'm chatting with Miriam Isaac about the UX design process. But before we jump into that, I want to thank FreshBooks who have kindly sponsored this podcast. When you're working with clients, you need to do things properly. That means sending invoices, logging your expenses, keeping track of your money and doing self-assessments each year. And this is where FreshBooks can help you because you can create branded invoices. uh, You can keep track of your income, expenses, create reports, and basically act like a pro. So you need to go and try FreshBooks out for yourself. And you can do that with a free 30-day trial. And it's one of those where you don't need to enter any credit card details. So you won't end up getting charged if you forget to uh, cancel your subscription. So to claim that free trial, head to freshbooks.com forward slash logo geek, making sure to enter logo geek in the how did you hear about a section. So this week's guest is someone that I met through an upcoming event called Front Row, which is a virtual design conference happening in July. Uh, They have loads of inspiring speakers lined up and I've kindly been invited to be on a a panel, uh, which I'm really looking forward to. So if you want to check that out, you can get a free ticket just by heading to Front Row design. Uh, So anyway, last year I was watching the speakers of this event and this week's guest, Miriam Isaac, pretty much laughed all the way through the bulk of the time she was on, Uh, but she did manage to drop in some incredible advice around the topic of UX design. So I started to follow her content through Instagram and I've been really impressed by her approach to wireframing in particular. She does such incredible sketchbook work and looking into what she does further, she's so organized and she really knows her stuff on the topic of UX design. So she's definitely a a real expert in uh, user experience design. So I thought I'd bring her on the show to discuss this topic further. Now, I know this show is focused on logo design and branding primarily, but I figured that now and again, I'm going to weave in topics connected with design in general. I know I personally love hearing stories from all designers. I know uh, some people listening are designers in lots of different spaces. So I hope that you'll enjoy uh, me adding a, a little bit more Uh, diversity to the show. I'll obviously keep the show as as focused as much as I can on logo design and and branding, but I've been doing this show weekly now, every single week for over six months consistently, and I plan to do it ongoing uh, pretty much forever. And uh, I I just like the idea that I can speak to other uh, graphic designers that I meet. I've been meeting so many cool people online and in reality over the years, and I'd love to bring them on to find out their story. And I know that uh, you guys will enjoy that too. So uh, watch this space. So this is the first episode uh, connected with uh, user experience design. And like I said, I'll I'll keep the the topics as as much as I can uh, closely related with logo design and branding. Uh, But anyway, this week's guest, Miriam Isaac, is a user experience designer 
who creates and designs digital products. In this podcast, we take a deep dive into her design process and as expected, there's lots of laughing throughout this, so I hope it will make you smile. So let's get into this to discuss UX design. Here is the interview with Miriam Isaac. So I want to ideally spend the uh, bulk of this time uh, talking to you about the UX design process. But I I think before we get into that, a debate I constantly see coming up online in in communities is the uh, difference between UX and UI. Can you clarify what is the difference between these two? So traditionally UX and UI design were cast as being two different verticals. I believe that UI is part of UX because UX is the whole experience one feels when you interact with a project, and that includes the interface, which is the buttons, the styling, the typography, and the colors of an application. Mm-hmm. Um, we had to go with this way because we had to establish UX as a completely new industry and vertical because we've come from being web designers. And we needed to um, establish this new thing called UX and establish that this had more depth to it than just the interface of the project because at the time, at the, I'm sorry, my <laughs> Don't worry, keep, keep going, it's okay. Because <laughs> at the time it was still quite seen at surface level, but as technology became more advanced and there was more advanced interactions we we needed to take a step back and learn how to do those interactions and learn things like how do people interact with external stimuli how does that apply to human computer interactions and that whole behavioral science behind that and applying that to digital product design so that falls you i believe ui falls under the umbrella of ux and it's part and parcel of ux because the colors the type are all part of the experience that one feels when they interact with a digital product. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I've been, um, I, I know I'm primarily specialized in logo design and people listening to this probably name me more from, from my logo design work. But um, I've, I actually worked for uh, a web design agency for over 10 years. So I understand exactly what you mean. And in my role, I, I never... Um, I, I kind of did everything <laughs> and I never really treated it as two separate disciplines because like you said, they they do overlap, but I can understand why some bigger companies do want specific um, individual people for each separate role, just especially with UX when it can become more complex, you know, with all the research and all the, the um, you know, all the underlying work that, that you need to do. Yeah, 100%. I mean, also the interactions nowadays are so complex. When like Don Norman coined the term UX, he also said it wasn't just the experience of a digital product, but also with the complete product to, you know, the hardware and to the manual and to the guidebook that would say come with the digital product as well. The problem is that that was coined in like 1990s and nowadays technology has really evolved and really advanced that um, someone just doing the interaction design, just like, you know, for going from A to B to C to D and then back to A or back to B or back to C. That could be so complex. That could be an entire person's job, you know, and you can't 
And when people online look for UX designers, they're looking, they're not looking for someone to also design the physical part of the project. They're looking for people to design the interactions and do the user research. And I really believe that we need to make this definition and move away from Don Norman's term because when I come out and I say it's the experience one feels when they interact with a digital product, people come back to me and say things like, no, it's not true. It's everything. It's all the things. It's anything. <laughs> it's, how you, it's how you interact with doorknob. It's how you interact with, um, I don't know, like a, oh, like a cup or a mug or a teapot. And I'm like, no, these people aren't being hired to, to design teapots. These people are being hired to design for digital products. We need to make the separation. In essence, you know, they're right. And it surprised me how I've also moved away from it because I was also a big believer. But in terms of having clarity in our industry and helping people hire for the right positions and helping people enter this, this industry, which we know from so many people, they're like, what's UX? I don't understand. Why are there so many definitions? You know, <laughs> um, when you Google the term UX, you should be able to understand that right off the bat and it has to be in correlation to what these people are being hired to do and not only that is that I've had conversations with very frustrated product designers who design teapots <laughs> and they design <laughs> doorknobs and they get messages on LinkedIn asking them if they do you know interaction design or digital design and they're very frustrated and I really believe we shouldn't be taking our terms from different industries and we should just call a spade a spade and say a UX designer it designs digital products and finish yeah 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 I, I did actually notice on your website um uh it's your main kind of uh tagline you know, when, when you first come on, on the site, uh, you don't actually say that you're a UX designer. You do say that you're um, more of a, a product designer for, I um, can't remember exactly what you said, but like online interfaces, which I thought was a nice way of putting it. Yeah, I think I, I, I made that like in 2018. I don't think I've updated it for a while. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even realise. Um, yeah, I think because I wanted to, to position myself that I do digital products and not to have that confusion. Yeah, yeah, I think it's good to make that clarification, especially when, and I, I think as well, um, calling yourself just a UX designer kind of uh, puts you into a category, but I like the way that you you describe that. Um, I don't know, would would you change that now? Because you said that you did it a few years ago. Would you would you would you have that sentence different now? I'd probably put something something with UX in there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it gives it gives clarity to it, um, uh, you know, because it it says exactly what you do. <laughs> <laughs> that's so good. I'm so glad that that's what a value proposition should be. So that's really glad that. <laughs> well, that's what I do. I make value propositions for other people. <laughs> yeah, fantastic, fantastic. Oh, well, graphic designers, we all love the you know the nitty gritty details. And I looked on your website again. And I, I went through your process. I'd love to spend some time going through that in detail if you're happy to. So um, you're probably going to tell me that you do it differently now. But based on your website, you you mentioned it's broken down into five steps. So you've got did discovery, research, ideate, prototype and design and deli deliver and evaluate. Yeah. Would you mind going through the, each one of these steps, what you do? assuming that the audience is not familiar with the, the web design so can we start with like the discovery what would you do within that step 
Yeah, yeah, that's fine. And also, my, my process is still the same as well. So that's okay. Um, okay, so my discovery. So why I start is, of course, is I know as designers, we like to just like jump into a project and just hmm. get designing and open up Photoshop or XD or Figma, whatever it is that we work in or the different products today. <laughs> 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 I remember once writing about this and being like, I had to write a sketch slash Figma slash XD slash Photoshop slash Illustrator. Um, it was funny because I didn't, you know, I didn't want to alienate anyone. <laughs> Well, yeah, there's so many different tools now and it, it is hard to know what you can work on. So we can go into that a little bit later, like the, the specific tools that you use, because I, I think it will help um, provide some clarity for, for the audience. Yeah, so before before jumping into any one of the your chosen tools, <laughs> um, I would I like to take the time, take a step back, I sit down with the client and sit down with all the stakeholders or with the product manager or with the founder. As you can see, I, I, I do work with many different types of people in this industry. Yeah. Digital products can take on like many different forms and in many different, like, you know, a company would have um, just different, there's different, many different ways of working in UX, which I love because it makes my day like always different. So anyway, so I would yeah. sit down with this person and ask them a certain set of questions um, the stakeholders to un uncover the project needs and the project goals and to make sure we're all aligned with that. After that, I would, um, so yes, yeah, so I'm there, I'm asking, <coughs> I'm sorry, I would ask questions like, if you could name one key pro goal of the project, what would that be? How would we uh, measure our success in achieving said goal? And this is like, they love this one. What is your gut instinct when I say, what is your greatest wish for this project? So. <laughs> mm, mm, I like that question. I, I think <laughs> I, I think it's good what you're doing with those initial questions because you're really focusing on uh, what the goal fulfillment is. Um, I, I try to do that with my logo design project. So it's not about the like the the look and the feel of what you're creating. It is really focused on um, establishing what they're trying to achieve with this project. Yes, and also what this does is that now you have documentation that when you say go into design and iteration, which could be a few weeks down the line, and they say, well, why is it like, well, we actually, we want this, we want that. And you, you remind them, like, remember, we spoke that the project goal was X. And, um, you know, how do you feel about that? I didn't say like, I didn't say like, how dare you? <laughs> I feel like, well, you know, when you came to me, you said X and Y, and now, you know, you're saying Z, I'm wondering where this is and where, um, what's going on here. And they'll be like, oh, oh yeah, you're right. Let's concentrate first on our first goal and we can work on that later. So instead of getting stuck in those crazy iterations of like this person doesn't know and it also aligns all stakeholders together i try and get a lot of people in the room or in the zoom call so that they also with each other can align on goal as well and that's like yeah. really important especially when you're working with different people and there's different people jumping in and giving you design feedback yeah i think without that clarity it's really hard throughout the entire uh, process especially um if you are working with or if you are having to present to quite a lot of people um because i think if if there is no like clear defined um goal for the project it's just going to be really hard for everyone everyone's going to be kind of fighting for their corner which still happens with big projects but um you know just having it clear from the outset it just it just makes it easier for them and easier for you as well it makes it easy for everyone because it doesn't it takes it outside of opinion 
and put it on the goal of the project, which is more abstract and something external to everyone. And everyone could be like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's the goal. Yeah, we're all aligned on that, you know. Yeah. So, and that brings everyone together. Um, yeah. I find that's truly invaluable. And then every designer should take the time to do a discovery process at the beginning. So yeah, yeah. once that's done, I'll start on my research. And there's two main pillars to my user research to the user research, which is user research, so that's with people, and data analysis. And that can be practically split, split into qualitative, quantitative, and empirical data gathering. Would you mind explaining what each of those mean? Yeah, for sure. So quantitative data, quantitative data is numerical data. So for example, those are things like conversion rates, bounce rates, Average session duration, demographics, and email click-throughs. And you could use things like Google Analytics or Adobe Analytics. It really depends on what platforms the clients already or the companies have in place. Yeah, okay. okay. Um, that's just to, you know, collect numbers and see where people drop off, see where the greatest opportunities are, stuff like that. Qualitative data is non-numerical data. It's the how and why of your users behavior so this is where you do user user um interviews um i usually will ask for like a list of people i can interview um from the client or the company and i'll go and do some super um user interviews so is this to research the like the the existing platform that they currently have either the existing platform or if they don't have something then i'll ask who your potential customers are and i'll go and speak to people and I can also sometimes if they don't have anything at all, then I can they'll usually go out and find people in their demographics of their audience, which will be uncovered in the discovery phase, like discovery questions. I'll be asking who their audience is. And they could sometimes they could have like two types of audiences. So I'll go and do some user interviews. Um also you could use things like going on so seeing their social media comments, um, reviews on their website or their products. You can use things like Hotjar surveys, Microsoft Dynamics or Yopo. Also, Cura, I find, is a great place to find out information about a company as well. Mm -hmm. The next one is... Sorry to interrupt. Just before you move on to the next one, those interviews that you carry out, yeah. what type of things are you asking? How, how, like, how are you going about doing those interviews and, and what are you trying to find out? Yeah, so it's usually conducted over a Zoom call or over the phone, or if I'm lucky, I could do it in person. It really depends on the client and the company or the company. Yeah, sure. And I'll ask questions, things like, well, how does this product make you feel? If you had a magic wand, what would you change about this product? Um, would you recommend this product to anyone? Um, what was your greatest pain point? in the product and really finding out what I do is like interview the at least five people and I will from there look for patterns within those interviews to see of a common pain point that could be an opportunity yeah, sure. for us and what's also important is that some people you know they put user interviews on this like pedestal but you also got to be doing this other kind of data as I'm talking about the stuff like the the heat maps, the reviews, the customer research, the stuff that's already being said about the product and the company, as opposed to also the empirical gathering, which is the active user interviews, but also you're looking at past um, customer data like surveys, because things are going to be said 
And those things are very different to when you get on the phone with someone and you ask them active questions, as opposed to someone giving post survey feedback, it's very different. So you want to also align that data with that data as well. Yeah, sure. And in instances where there isn't currently a website or an interface already, what are you asking those people? What I would ask though is I would go and ask for their competitors um, in the stakeholder interview and then I would do research using research on the competitors. Yeah, sure. And find out what those pain points are and create the strategy around that. Yes, yeah, so yeah, I've done it all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen it all. I've seen the people with stuff, without stuff, nothing at all. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny though, I do get asked that question a lot. So, because people, I do see that designers who are new to it, they're like, they're just like, uh, how do I do it? There's no products. And then, you know, so it's, uh, I've learned how to overcome those, those barriers in my. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that, that's, that's really career. good. <laughs> now, I interrupted you when you was talking through the research. So, um, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I believe you went through the uh, the qualitative, quantitative. Did you go through empirical data? Yes, yeah, so I actually touched upon it a bit because user interview, um, active user interviews, like ones that you go out and you actively go and interview someone, that is empirical data because that's gathered through intentional observation and experimentation. Yeah, sure. So in those instances, you can sit down with them and see how they're actually using something. Yeah, it's like usability testing, um, conducting heat maps on a product, conducting A-B testing on a product. So you're like, you're putting up two versions and you're taking that data. It's, at, it's you going forward and, and collecting more data through intention, as opposed to the other ones, which are more yeah. passive and you can collect that might already be existing and you're kind of like doing your investigation on previous data as well. Yeah, yeah. So once you've got all of that research together, I know that you would move on to that next step, but what what would you do with all that collected information? Would you put that together in some kind of document to present back to the clients? Yeah, and that would usually also go with, if there's already a platform, I'd also be doing like an audit on the platform, um, a UX audit where I'm just benchmarking against UX laws. And that's all, that goes all together in one presentation where with the audit of the current platform and all the interesting insights that, are key insights that I gained from user research or from mm-hmm. the data analysis. And that would be presented back to the client so that we can all align on how we're moving forward in the project. Yeah, sure. So at this point, you've worked out the goals with the client, you've done the necessary um really in-depth um research to understand where the problems lie and it sounds like at that point you would have quite a clear direction of the the challenges that you're facing and that the the issues that you you want to address so i know that now you would progress to ideate which you have separate to prototyping and and design what happens in that ideate um uh, section of your process so you just spoke about ideating because ideating is like getting everyone together and presenting those findings and being like okay what should we do now <laughs> yeah so it's it's basically creating a clarifying like a direction forward based on all of the collated data yes yes and that's like collaboration bringing everyone together and being like okay here's here's where we are what do you guys think um let's get some feedback maybe let's do some sketching together or they could just turn around and be like, no, no, we like this, you go forward. It really depends on 
where you're working and who you're working for. Um, they might not want to be involved, or they might w- or they might want to be involved. It really depends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see. I've seen a couple of um, pictures. I think they were on your Instagram or maybe on your website. But I, I've seen some nice uh, photos that you have, are like things pinned up on them on boards and like whiteboard sketches and all that sort of stuff. Is is that what happens within that step? Yeah, it's generally usually like uh, we'll bring. I'll bring in like also you know different different um designs and i'll ask them like you know put some stickers on them see which ones you like the best and it's really a collaborative bringing all the findings together and putting them on things like post-it notes and print outs and being like okay guys let's collaborate and this could take for as i said this could be i think it's more common when you work within a team uh, as yeah. a solo you know hired as like a hired gun and when I go back to client with the findings, they're usually like, oh, this looks good, Mim, you go forward. Like, they're not that interested in having a session. Um, they're just interested yeah. in, like, going forward because they're busy with their business and managing their own employees and they want me to take care of it. So it really yeah. depends or, like, it really depends how I'm hired um, in terms of that. So I don't want, because I don't want people to feel worried, like, oh, I'm not doing this, like, collaboration, sticky note stage. That's okay. Like, it happens um it can happen in different ways so yeah 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 I mean that that does make sense so in instances where there is a team where they want to get involved you you have that workshop to clarify a direction but if um you don't always do that because you're able to present the findings that you've done show a direction and I guess then they could just say yeah go ahead (laughs) yeah yeah as I said it really it just depends on situation and and UX can take many many different forms so it really just depends on the level of involvement that people want to be involved with um and that's all like that's all spoken about in discovery as well so yeah 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 now I I know the next step you're working on um prototyping I I, this is something that I really like that you do and everyone needs to go and check out your Instagram because these are really cool but I see you do a lot of these really nice um sketches I I don't know if you're showing them to clients but you can explain that shortly um so so this prototyping section would you mind talking through what you're actually doing within that and and would you mind talking through those sketches that you've done as well yeah, sure. Yeah. So after everything's been defined and researched, as you know, I'm going to tell we're already like, oh my God, finally. <laughs> we can start drawing. Yeah. <laughs> it takes a while in the UX world to get to that drawing stage. It's a fun bit. So, yeah. So after that's all done, we've all got direction. I can finally start with creating the screens. And what I do is I usually start on paper it's really my preferred way of working I know some people would like to do the wireframes on the computer whatever it is I find paper just is amazing in terms of getting those initial because going from like idea and insights to physical you know product is like it's quite the creative jump so I for me drawing on paper works that's how it works for me I really gets my creativity going really gets me thinking um I enjoy creating my paper wireframes and really trying to figure out things on paper it also for mobile it also really helps because you're on your mobile phone application your phone is like in your hand you can feel it and I feel when you go straight into wireframes on the computer it's far away from you when you do it on paper you can really feel 
how this experience is going to feel. And sometimes, yeah, I'll cut things out and I'll see how that feels and I'll see, you know, this works together with each other. Um, I just find that it's a great process. I know some people aren't into it and I've definitely been on podcasts where people just, just to talk paper period time thing. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know it's one area that I, I really wanted to speak about just because you do it differently to anyone else I've seen. Um, I, I mean, when, when I've worked on, on web design, I've sketched stuff, but it's literally just been a quick scribble just to get an idea for um, what I want to put together. And then I'll do it in, in, in the computer. But I just like that um, the way that you're doing it, it feels like you, you, you spend a lot of time uh, working in your sketchbook and you put a lot of detail into it. And I don't know, you can tell that it's like your favorite part of the entire process, just based on what I've seen. <laughs> Um, it's definitely my favorite part I mean I really I also just find that la- the final product comes out so much better when I've done it on paper first I don't know why I can't explain it because I have tried like sometimes when there's been a really tight deadline I'm like okay there's no I'm not going to be able to sketch and I've tried to skip it I've seen that oh no I've ended up spending more time on the project because it's not come out as well so I really believe in like sticking to my process because I really see I, for example I was recently working on a assignment board which is like a table of different tasks that a user might have on their board that they need to go through. Yeah. And I started, I, try, I did try and it was, it, it's part of a lot, much larger project. And I tried to start it in XD, this, this section. And you know what? It wasn't working. It just wasn't flowing. And I sat down and I said, okay, I'm going to sketch this out. And I just finished the UI design yesterday. The client loved it. And I just knew it was because I went back to paper and went back to my process. So I really think that's really valuable. And as I said, I feel interfaces is an experience. And if I'm starting on paper, really, really starts a whole process of creating an experience. Yeah. As, as we speak about. Yeah, yeah. One big question I have, I'm sure other people might be thinking this as well, what are you showing your client? Are you showing them sketches or are you putting together an extra wireframe um, in some kind of software first to, to, to show the client? It really depends. It really depends on the client. I know that's such a classic UX person's <laughs> answer. It depends. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to be a cliche. <laughs> But <laughs> I was saying, <laughs> it really depends. Some clients, I will show them the sketches and we'll sign off on sketches and they'll love it as well. They'll, they love it. They hire me also because they, they love the sketches and they want to see their stuff in sketches. It's kind mm. of part of the whole experience of hiring me, I think. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Miriam, I have to say, I'm sure there's a lot of listeners that you're really cheering up right now. <laughs> anyway, uh, you know what? I did a podcast of Connor Fowler, and he was telling me when Miriam, when I was editing the podcast, the spikes were so hilarious. Like, <laughs> well, I know, yeah, I, I know one of the 
uh, first things I, I watched from you, I, I think the first thing you did was just burst out laughing and you, you hadn't even said anything yet. It's, it's, it's funny. So I hope <laughs> listeners are just laughing away. <laughs> I hope they see, do you know what? I listened to a podcast called Dollop. It's right. about these two guys, they do a history podcast and they laugh the whole time <laughs> about, but they're also really serious, like about history. And I'm really learning a lot about the stuff in history that show like pockets of history that aren't really taught taught in school but they laugh about everything and I said to myself if I ever make a podcast it's gonna sound just like this like yeah yeah that's gonna be you yeah you have to do that you have to make that a thing <laughs> uh, so what are we talking about wireframes <laughs> I just want to take a short break to thank FreshBooks who have sponsored this episode. As creatives, we like to spend our time designing logos and brand identities, but a lot of us spend more time than we'd like doing admin work, like creating invoices, chasing payments, logging expenses. And that's where FreshBooks can help you. It's an accounting software designed for creative professionals that will save you time. For example, you can create branded, professional-looking invoices in as little as 30 seconds. You can set up credit card payments right from those invoices too, meaning that your clients can pay faster. And when it comes around to tax time, you can export out tidy reports for expenses, invoice details, and sales tax to make working with an accountant really simple. Right now, I'm offering listeners of the Logo Geek podcast a free 30-day trial. To claim that, just head to freshbooks.com forward slash Logo Geek, making sure to enter Logo Geek in how did you hear about a section. Now let's get back to the interview. Okay. Yeah. So where we got to, we was talking about the the wireframing and prototyping. So I know that uh, we we said about like sketch sketching, and and sometimes you, I understand what you mean. I think everyone understands this. Um, you know, the audience of logo designers. I never show sketches personally, but I know from time to from time to time, you get that client that that just understands and and you know that they they would understand the sketch but then you also have these clients that you know just wouldn't get it and you know mm. that they wouldn't appreciate those sketches so I, I know what you mean by by it it depends so I'm, I'm curious then so you, you've done the sketches and you need to create a prototype I'm really keen to talk about the tools here because I know it's it, the, it's a land field of so many different options out there for, yeah, for sure. uh, prototyping <laughs> how do you go about that next step of putting together some kind of um online or or computer-based prototype yeah so what I'll do is so I, there was a time where okay so I, I was in sketch and then I heard about a lot of people talking about xd and figma so what I did was I did yeah. one project in xd and I did one project in figma <laughs> to kind of learn each program um like kind of on the job and also they were very familiar for sketch so it wasn't really like a learning curve so but I've landed now on Figma I really prefer Figma to XD and I'm sorry to the XD fans (laughs) I'll tell you why um I find the sharing tools really powerful in Figma and as a user experience designer, you're doing a lot of sharing, you're doing a lot of iterations. It's great that you can 
the way you share is really live. Like when you make a change in the file, the client can see that straight away. There's no like generating or exporting or attaching. There's just one link and everyone can come into that link and comment on that link. And it's got that fluid, flu, uh, fluid, um, is it? I'm not saying this right. <laughs> that, whatever, that dynamicness. No, that's not a word. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> just making it words now <laughs> but that need let's not be fancy that need that i find as a ux designer when you collaborate because there's just a lot of collaboration because it could be you could mm -hmm. be working with many you could be working with a ui designer you could be working with a ux designer you could be working with a product manager you could be working with a founder like it gives you it gives that ability to work with many different people which is what was really missing when back in the day we were in photoshop doing this <laughs> Yeah, how, how, yeah, 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 yeah. So, I, I mean, I, I think the interesting thing with that, there are loads of different options, but what it sounds like you've done is you pick the one that works best for you. And it's not necessarily the the, the best one. It's just what, what you prefer yourself and what you prefer to work with. Um, but it's good, to, it's good to hear that you kind of tried everything. And, and I think that's like the, the example that you said of trying one project or one thing, one in, in another is actually a nice way of, experimenting with these tools and, and seeing like their capabilities and, and what you can do with them yeah yeah I've always kind of done that as well in terms of like I've, I've been I've been doing this I've been designing and building for the web or for digital for like 10 years now you know and even when I was making websites I would always learn like a new technology as I made the website so it's kind of just how I I approach it yeah because you could be stuck in a debate forever ian like on twitter or oh Instagram. yeah you could yeah, well, should, yeah, I yeah. Yeah. should i use figma should i use sketch should i no 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 you're just like you're just wait it's just hot air it's until oh, you yeah. <laughs> get into a program and see what works for you it's just hot air until that point and it's just a bit pointless debate yeah because yeah and, but then also you could be working for, you know, a company that we work in Figma. You have to work in Figma. Forget your whatever you believe in, right? No, no, no. You've got to work in XC now. I'm sorry, mate. You know, so be fluid and be adaptable, you know? Mm -hmm. So what, what's the aim with those softwares? Is it to create just a wireframe or um, are you styling it in those softwares? Are you able to explain a little bit more of that? About so that I generally do my wireframes on paper. That's how I work, and I'll present those wireframes to the client or whoever it is, stakeholders. And then from there, I'll start creating actually the UI directly in Figma and start with yeah, the screens. Sure. That's kind of my process. Um, I find it works for me. I kind of also create the design system in tandem to the UI design. So I'm also collecting components along the way, and I'm putting them into like a base document and then as I design, design new screens, I'm grabbing new components. And if I need to do a change in a component across the screens, I'll do it in the master component. And yeah. I find that I was speaking to a developer recently who was saying he really liked that because that's how they work with a design system. They'll take the components and start creating the screen from that. And he was definitely like taken aback that a designer also did that. I think that's because of my coding background that I understand that kind of framework. Um, but it's also how I recommend, people ask me about design systems for some reason, and that's what I recommend. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so yeah. I, I guess you're, you've done all of the like all the um graphic design I guess within Figma you know you've worked out how it's going to look how like the, the the layout the usability and all that sort of stuff what's the next step from that so then I'll start prototyping like I'll put them together like I'll create um mm-hmm. you know like a, I guess a clickable prototype and now this depends sometimes I'll send that to a client and they can click through it or what I do What's been working a lot for me recently, um, because sometimes clients are not like they don't they get frustrated. So then I do a loom video where I talk through their their prototype. Right. And they love that. They really they really get that and they like that being explained to them. And it's also another great tool to say if you're working on a remote team of developers you can talk over your prototype and really explain how it works. And I find that is great. So what you do is you share that, you press play on that prototype on Figma and then I'll start recording the Loom video and I'll just be clicking through the prototype and showing how things work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure. So at that point, is it's still a prototype, but you're able to present it to clients, you're able to get their sign off. Yeah. How do you then move on to like the next part of making that a, a real thing? Oh, and then I hand that developer handoff. Yeah, that, so you're yeah. so you're doing all the uh, you you don't actually build it. You you hand it over to a, a web developer or or whatever who could actually build that and turn it into a real thing. Yeah, like I, it could be massive. It could be a, a document of like a hundred screens, Ian. At this point, and then you'll also have the design system. You'll also have the clickable prototype. You'll also have a user flow, um, and the architecture as well. That could also be in their Figma documentation and it's all all you know all of that stuff <laughs> so, I know it's a lot of stuff but like <laughs> but all of that stuff goes into like whatever it is it could be on their base camp it could be on their slack what, however it could be in the email all that stuff is stocky is is sometimes I'll even write out a whole pdf and guidelines as well of how stuff works and I'll hand that off as well so that everyone is all clear on how this works (laughs) yeah sure so are you are you handing are you basically handing that off to the client to to source a a developer on their own or do you partner with people so that you can do um your bit (laughs) and then pass it over to someone else who can then execute it how are you dealing with that side of it so at the moment what i i get usually i get hired in ways where the client or the company would have a team of developers and yeah. I'll work with the team in the handoff and I'll work directly with the developers. I don't have like my own developers that I send stuff to. I'll I'll hand stuff off. It's just it's how I prefer to work. I don't want that overhead of having to manage developers as well. Yeah, yeah, I know that's um, a challenging uh, part as well. And uh, I mean, anyone who's a graphic designer, it can it can be hard working with um, with de- de- developers. I found anyway, personally. <laughs> <laughs> I I wanted to sorry. Yeah. I know yeah. I just found with developers the way to do it is to get them involved as early as possible on your project and get them like um seeing stuff and asking if you're designing something complex you know speaking to a developer be like is this a possibility what do you think before you really hammer that out even like even if i've not met the dev team yet and i'm working on a project i'll just reach out to friends on instagram and be like yo dominic do you think this can work 
<laughs> and he'll be like, no, Miriam, that's ridiculous. Or he'll be like, yeah, that's yeah, I could do that. I'm like, I know you could do that, but do you think other people can? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think that's I think that's one of the good things that, that what you do and um uh I've I've done this as well myself even though I'm not a developer I think if you're working on any interfaces you need to have a basic understanding of what's possible and and if you're not sure it's always good to check with someone just to make sure that that is possible to do yeah 100% and the best way also is finding something that already exists that is online and working and you can like refer to and developers also like that challenge of seeing something that's already live and be like, oh, how do you do this? Oh, I'm going to like puzzle this. I'm going to unpuzzle this. <laughs> they like that as well, I found. So as long as it's online and it's working and they have something that they can refer to, they're happy, they're like, they're happy to have a puzzle to, to do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I did want to just briefly ask about that, that kind of handoff document because yeah, I, sure. I looked in one of your case studies and it looked like you you provided some really comprehensive like um, PDF document or something that had everything in it. I, I know you mentioned that you put it into Figma, so I, I'm not sure of your usual process, but I'm assuming that you put together some kind of um, actual in-depth document that explains exactly what should happen when, what everything should look like, and stuff like that. Is 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 that the case, or is it all? Yeah, definitely. Within Figma. Oh no, I also in like as part of as part of the deliverable, there'll also be that there'll be documentation which could have could be done in Figma, could be done in any whatever program you fancy. Where it's, yeah. it's it's like redlining, you know, yeah. and really it's there could be a stage where and this could be also dependent on the developers. There could be a stage where say they've put something up on GitHub or on a storybook and they've come back to you be like, Hey Ryan, what do you think? And I'll see there's an issue um, so then I'll go ahead and make further documentation to really explain how um, how it should look. And I'll give them, like, you know, values and proper redlining. I do find in Figma nowadays, the code panel, um, this mitigates a lot of that, that redlining we had to do manually. So um, don't, we don't necessarily have to do that nowadays, but also just um, in general style guides and design systems which I'll do in Figma where I'm talking about, okay, what's this for? How does it work? What context is it used in? What happens if this goes, like if this has a fixed height and it goes over the fixed height, stuff like that, really explaining yeah. the um, autonomy. Autonomy. Autonomy, autonomy. And then the behavior <laughs> and then the usage usually mitigates all those problems yeah it sounds it sounds like you go through everything um you know with a fine tooth and you do everything very thorough you, you know you do all your research properly you 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 work with clients to understand everything properly um you're creating your prototypes you're documenting everything it sounds like you do a really thorough and impressive job so it's it's nice to hear all of your process oh thank you yeah it's definitely a long process <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny when I do go for it I do feel like oh that's exhausting isn't it <laughs> yeah yeah how how long how long does it normally take to go through this entire process because it sounds like it could potentially be like a six-month project in some cases 
I usually take on, I won't take on projects that are less than like three months. It just doesn't, I find that UX, the nature of the work, it takes at least like any project would be baseline of like three months. Yeah. Um, yeah, it could be like three, six months. I've had projects going on for like a year. It's just the nature of the work to really get, um, to really come to a good product that works for everyone and is it also depends on how many people are on the project as well if there's a lot of people lot of stakeholders lot of opinion it's going to take longer if it's one person like one startup founder it's going to take a lot less so and they might be like they might say like okay we want to do we don't want to we don't need to ideate right together and find what you want to do you know so there's many different flavors you know, it could range from being this complex B2B software as a service application, which could take a year, I've seen, or it could be a small application that has like five screens and that would take a lot less time. Yeah, so, yeah. So would you like say if, if the project is just too big and it's going to take longer than that kind of three month threshold, would you essentially turn it down because it's too big? No, no, I like long, ongoing Yeah, projects. sure. Yeah, I'd usually say something like between, I'll dedicate maybe 10 to 20 hours a week on a project for a long period of time, um, you know, set up a retainer, and that's how it will go. Because I find that I can't work, I just, for me, I can't work 40 hours a week on one project. I think uh, my brain would, yeah, yeah. It wouldn't work for me. And I have... Um, so I've just seen that's the way it goes, really. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. That works yeah, for me. Yeah. I hope you don't mind going into this in, in like the last kind of 10 minutes we have. But you, you mentioned then about having a, a, a retainer. Yeah. How how are you pricing for these projects? Because I know, I guess something like a three-month project, you could probably create a fixed price, a fixed yeah. cost. But these longer projects, are, are you, how are you pricing them? Are you are you creating like a monthly price and they're just paying like pay as you go or how are you how are you yeah well, how, <laughs> how are you approaching how are you how are you approaching that yeah really um yeah <laughs> so on the longer projects it's going to be a retainer basis it's going to be like i sell them a book of hours i'll have a sliding yeah. scale like if you buy more hours you can get you know i'll take off this like this amount per hour right depending because because it, it could get really expensive you know like <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 especially with those with those bigger projects it's, it's hard because I've seen like like say if the project is a million pounds say right. um I've, some bigger companies they might take that on and and it might end up just dragging and it end up they'd end up losing money so you do need to be careful of that so it's it's good to know that you're um basically creating like a, a monthly uh, cost for the client so that you can just keep working on the project for a set amount of hours and um you know you see how it goes uh based on I don't know what I'm trying to say here but based on the the the, the progression of the project yeah like recently I just I'm just speaking to someone now and they want to do like two months at my like you know and they want to like they're happy to do it at my highest rate but two months and see how that goes and then we'll work out like a longer retainer as well just totally understandable you know um and but I tell them like you want to probably buy a buck of hours so we can protect my time protect your time so I can set aside this time for you and I'm not going to yeah. take on like other projects and I know 
I also for me like I like to know when a project is finishing so I know like okay I have gonna have an opening in three months time and I can book other clients for that time afterwards so it's saying I find it's important to um try and negotiate for someone buying buckets of hours who can really kind of schedule your day in terms of yeah, yeah. how who you're going to work for in different ways as well also smaller projects like a landing page you could you could price that per project and then take a deposit and do that within like the month or two you know or however long that takes um you know so that's going to be different to these longer ongoing you know SaaS software service products which could be going on for like let's face it i've had projects that have gone on for like years even and that's not that's not saying oh it's taken so long no no it's just the nature of the work and the nature of how things change and responding to customer feedback and they want to have they want to have like they don't need an in-house designer but they want to have someone who's um like on their team and familiar and they have they put aside the budget for that and they just have it kind of ongoing you know sort of Mm, thing mm. yeah it's really good for you as um you know someone working for yourself that you've got that predictable income Um, because a lot of freelancers don't have that it is it's probably nice for you that you know um you know you can predict your your income in several months time because you know that these projects are gonna gonna continue yeah that's what I like about the nature of UX is that you could you can you can price in this way um yeah for the longer projects yeah yeah it's nice to get those little bursts of like oh a landing page like it's very different and fun you know in the middle <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I, th- I think I, I want to throw in one last question and I want to ask a, a, a different topic question and uh, just because I'm interested in this and I'm sure listeners will be too I, I read that you was one of six designers that was lucky enough to be interviewed by um, Instagram which sounds like a massive opportunity would you be able to tell us a little bit more about that? Uh, so when they launched their app design channel, do you familiar with the app design channel? I don't follow it myself, but hopefully listeners will be familiar. And if they're not, I'll link to it in, in the show notes. Okay, so it's really funny. I got this email from someone from Instagram. And at first I was like, I'd been been featured by a different um, Instagram account. So I, I wasn't quite sure what this was. <laughs> they were like, they were like, hi, this is Casey from Instagram. I want to interview with launching our design um channel i wanted to interview and feature you as one of our six designers from around the world I and mean, we want to do one person ux design and i was a bit like what <laughs> 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 and i wasn't sure it was real but i checked her out on linkedin i was like oh this person does work on instagram at instagram and i checked out like her email signature and it was all legit and i was like oh my god so then I, I emailed her back and she sets up an interview and she asked me a set of questions. Um, and then she's like, and then she, she picked a, a picture of mine, like a wireframe sketch of mine that she was going to feature. And I was like, okay, like I, I don't know why, but I, I wasn't expecting, but then like a few, I mean, maybe like a week or two later, it came out that I was the first post on the launch of the app design channel and I was just that wow <laughs> that was crazy and that really took my Instagram account to the next level because it really gave me huge exposure and I'm so grateful that I was able to fly the flag for UX 
I'll fly the flag for also a designer in Israel. Like I was really flattered and, and just, yeah, it was an amazing experience. It really did a lot for me. Yeah. It's really cool. How, d- how did they find you? They just, I think through hashtags. <laughs> yeah, nice. So it's just using, you're, you're just posting on in- Instagram using the hashtags. And I guess, well, I mean, like I said, people need, do need to go and check them out. The, the wireframe sketches you do are really cool. So I'm not at all surprised. I think it's amazing. I was really, yeah, it was, it was great. And also at the time it was a bit more newer UX. So people were like, so some people on the post were like, so pretty featuring UX on your design channel. It's amazing. Like it's getting more exposure. And she found me, I think she must've just searched for UX and found me, found my picture <laughs> mm, that's cool that's cool well yeah. congratulations for that i think it's a, um, an amazing um thing and uh i just want to say thank you so much for coming on and talking through ux you know you've you've gone through it in in uh quite a lot of detail and i think even for anyone that does already currently work in in ux in some form will probably get some value from it um but it's really interesting so thanks so much for coming on Thank you, Ian. I'm really so lovely to be here and be on your lovely podcast. And I've been following <laughs> you for like, I don't know how long. <laughs> but yeah, I'm, also, I'm also super excited to be on Front Row with you in the summer. I'll so, link to that in the show notes. So any, if anyone wants uh, to to uh, attend some kind of online conference, you definitely need to check out Front Row. I'm on there. Miriam's on there. Um, there's a few other uh, friends of mine and past guests of the podcast that are all going to be on there um but yeah i mean with the world the way it is at the moment most of the conferences around the world would have been cancelled so that would be a nice um online equivalent yeah yeah i'm definitely excited to be on the panel with you that's going to be really fun yeah it should be fun well thanks miriam it's really good to speak to you thanks Ian. thank you for having me i really enjoyed it thank you If you enjoyed this episode, let myself and Miriam know by giving us a shout out on social media. I always love to hear from listeners of the podcast and I know that Miriam will really appreciate that too. So do give us both a shout out on social media if you enjoyed this episode. So if you want to learn more about Miriam Isaac, head to her website, miriamisaac.com. Alternatively, check out the show notes for this episode where I'll link to that, all of her social profiles, links to any books or resources that we mentioned in the interview, as well as a full transcription too. So to find the show notes for this episode, head to logogeek.uk forward slash 85. Again, to find the show notes for this week's episode, head to logogeek.uk forward slash 85. Now, if you're keen to discuss anything mentioned in this interview with me and over 9,000 graphic designers from around the world, you have to join the Logo Geek community on Facebook. It's totally free to join and it's so incredibly active. So you'll get your questions answered, the feedback that you want and the support that you need to grow and develop as a designer. So to find out, just head to logogeek.uk forward slash community or just do a search on Facebook for the Logo Geek community. If you enjoyed this episode, can I ask you to write a review on iTunes? That will help me to reach more people. So for listeners that have already been able to do that, 
thank you so much i really do appreciate it and uh, for anyone that hasn't and and if you do listen and you do enjoy the show please spare a few minutes and write a review that will help me to reach more listeners and ultimately um, allow me to attract sponsors and you know continue doing this podcast so if you can spare a moment to write a review thank you so much it's it's really greatly appreciated anyway that is it for this week but i'll see you the same time next week for another exciting episode of the logo geek podcast 